Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors here on staff and we are so glad that you're here with us today. And just to let you know, as we're coming up on the end of the year and we are heading into January, we are going to start talking a lot about our go trips or our international trips. And so all the information about our trips are online at this point and also the applications for those as well. So we would love for you to begin to pray about going on one of those trips. We think everyone should go on a mission trip if you've never been been on a mission trip before. So would you start praying about those mission trips and then check out the website with the information and the applications as well. Well, let me start out with a question. How many of you are ready for Christmas? Okay, come on. Let's try that a little better. Nine o'clock was better than that. All right. How many of you are ready for Christmas? Hey, there we go. All right. Well, I know the ladies are ready. Men, you've got nine days left. Okay. I'm just trying to help you out there, you know, and so... Um, the clock is ticking. It, it is coming. And so today we are wrapping up our message series called Pick a Fight. It is finishing today. Trent mentioned last week that he has enough material to take us through the end of this year and all the way through the end of next year as well. Uh, he is super passionate about this subject matter. He's so passionate. Uh, check out what he's been doing to my office here um, yeah, he's been putting up posters of himself in my office. Those posters, he's making copies. They're coming to your living room pretty soon here. And so be on the lookout for those posters that are coming. He's getting a little crazy. He's starting to like paint his face blue and wear a sword around the office as well. And so I told him, hey, I'm ending the series today, okay? Before you get arrested or something like that, I am ending the series today, so basically. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this series on Pick a Fight, and if you haven't been with us, I highly encourage you to check out what we've been looking at, which is what are you willing to fight for, or is what is God willing for us to fight for? And so go online, check out those audios if you haven't, and then also go through the Spiritual Growth Challenge, which helps you go to deeper into those messages, and then also you can do that on your own or with your community group as well. And so this whole series has been set upon this premise or this question of what are you willing to fight for? And we've looked at many different subjects that we should all be willing to fight for, such as we should all be willing to fight against human trafficking. We should all be able to fight for truth, and we should all fight to become more like Jesus, and we should fight for unity as well. And then we also looked at that we have a real enemy who we are fighting against, and that uh, we've learned how to fight against him as well. And then last week, we looked at what happens when we fail and how we should get back up. And at some point in our lives, we are all going to fail. And God doesn't want us to remain down in the dumps. And so today, we are switching gears. Instead of focusing on the question of what uh, should you be fighting for or what should we be willing to fight for, uh, we're going to start with this question. And it's a question that we've all wrestled with before in some shape or fashion. It's a question uh, that we're going to end the series with today. It is, what is God willing to fight for? Now, when I ask that question, I'm sure there's a lot of different things that pop into your mind, a lot of thoughts, a lot of different uh, things that just come into your mind when you look at that question. But let me share with you how I've wrestled with that question in the past a bit. For me, that has been a tough question at times in my life. For me, I have felt at times in my life that God isn't doing much. 
And I've had moments where I have felt alone and I feel like, okay, God, like, are you really going to help me out in this situation? Are you really going to be there for me? And I've had moments where I felt like I've done everything correct with God, and yet it seems like he's not responding to me. And I've had moments where I've seen people who are hurting, and I mean people who are really hurting, and I've wondered, God, how are you going to show up? in their worlds? How are you going to help them out? And I've had thoughts that have popped into my mind of, God, can you really be trusted? You know, are you really fighting for us? Now, it might surprise you that I've had those questions, but many of us, we've all had those questions at some point in our lives. Whether you believe in God or not, we've all wrestled with those types of questions. And throughout the ages, people have wrestled with those questions as well. Questions like, who is God? Does he really exist? Is he only full of judgment? Is he full of love? Does he really care about us? Is he really fighting for us? Because at times it seems like we're just left here on our own. It feels like we're alone. We've all been there. We've all felt alone at times, especially when tough things happen in our lives. When circumstances come into our lives that we can't control, it seems like we're alone. And when we think that we're alone, it's easy for us to check out and say, okay, God, you know, I'm not sure if I really believe in you. You know, I'm not sure if you're really even there. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a person who believes in God, you've done this. When tough times have come in, you've maybe said, okay, I'll take a shot on God. Okay, God, if you're like really there, you know, um, I need your help. And what happens? Nothing. And so it's just another check mark against God because he didn't show up when we really need him to show up. And then for all of us, we've seen on the TV, when we turn on the TV in a couple of moments, we see uh, humanity at its worst. You know, someone is hurting or some group of people is hurting and we wonder, okay, where is God in the midst of that? You know, is he really fighting? Does he really care? Is he really going to do anything about that? And or does he just care about a few people and not all people? You know, and for those who belong to him, they've even wondered at times, is God really there? Is he really working in the present time? It just seems like he's kind of silent. It seems like he's not doing anything. Let's get real. We've all been there. We've all had those questions. Some of you are asking those questions right now in your life or in the season of life. Some of you have just come out of that season of asking those questions. And some of you are about to head into that season of asking those types of questions because of something that's going to happen in your life with circumstances in that moment. And when we boil all these things down, you know, we all know that something awful can happen to us in this life. We all know and wonder, is God really fighting for us in those moments at all? And here's the answer that we're really looking for. The answer that we're really looking for, or the question that we're really asking is, can God be trusted? Can he be considered trustworthy? And so in order to answer that question, we have to ask the question, what is God willing to fight for? Because when we know what someone is willing to fight for, then we know who they are. So today we are going to look at a very definitive passage in scripture that addresses exactly what God is fighting for, what he's willing to fight for. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter four, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to open it up on your phones or anything like that. If you have one of the Bibles in the back, um, it is on page 783. So I'll give you a moment to turn to that in your Bibles or on your phones. 
Now, before we dive in, let me give you some kind of background information to set the scene. So let me start out with a really tough question. I need you to answer this question out loud, okay? So who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Yeah, some of you are like, uh, is that your question? No, it's Luke, all right? So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and uh, he is a Gentile, so that means he's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? And he is also a medical doctor, and so he's this guy who's like Mr. Thorough, Mr. Precise, wants to get things right, just like we would all want our medical doctors who, you know, we operate on us to get things right. And so he is concerned with that. And before becoming a Christ follower, he sets out to understand understands all the facts about Jesus. He's a guy who's like, you know what? You got to prove it to me. I'm not just going to buy into this deal. All right. I'm going to study the facts for myself and then make a decision. So after studying the evidence, he makes a decision about Jesus Christ and he becomes a Christ follower. And so he meets up with Paul and we don't know how he meets up with Paul, but he meets up with Paul and goes on all these missionary trips with him. And they're telling people about Jesus. And as he's going along the way, he said, you know, it'd be a good idea for me to write a book or a life account of Jesus's life. And since he was around uh, Paul, he had access to all the disciples. He had access to probably James, the brother of Jesus, and probably Mary, the mother of Jesus as well. And so he interviewed everyone and anyone that he could that had a firsthand eyewitness account of the life of Jesus because he wanted to get the details correct because that's the type of guy that he is. And also, while he's on these trips with Luke, he is witnessing the explosion of the church. And so he records and acts what happens with the church and how this thing just takes off as well. Now, before we get into this passage, this is what we need to know. This is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And one of the first recorded miracles that we have is Jesus is up in the north at a town called Cana, and he turns water into wine. And from there, he goes down to Jerusalem for Passover. And while he's there, he does some miraculous things. And people are wondering, oh, is this guy a great prophet? Who is he? Maybe he's the Messiah. We're not sure, you know. And one of the religious leaders of the day, one of the top ones, top three guys, comes out and interviews him at night to see if he's really the Messiah. And then after the Passover, he goes back up to Cana. uh, But he goes through Samaria. And he meets a woman in Samaria and he meets this town. And his purpose of going through Samaria is to show them that they matter. They matter to God. And so when he gets back into Cana, there's this official from a neighboring town called Capernaum that comes over and says, Jesus, you know, my son is dying. He's in Capernaum. He couldn't make the trip. Would you heal him? I hear you can do great things. And Jesus agrees to heal him from a distance, though. And so his son is healed from a distance. So news about Jesus is getting out. It's starting to spread like a wildfire, okay? And his hometown, Nazareth, they're like, whoa, wait a second. What's going on? Jesus is doing what? And they find out that Jesus is about to come and visit them. So all of his friends, all of his family members, all of his neighbors, they're excited. Okay, here comes this new kind of hometown hero. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. We're like on the outskirts of everything. And so what's going to happen? What is he going to do here? What is he going to say? So that's where we're picking up in this part of the story. So let's see what happens. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. 
Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So here's Jesus who does what he usually does on the Sabbath, which is he goes to the synagogue on Saturdays. And just like we go to church on Sundays, Jesus goes there. And because he's a visiting religious leader, it was the custom of the day, especially if you're doing stuff like what Jesus is doing, is to allow him to participate in the service. And so the place is packed. The entire town is there. I mean, they've been hearing some tremendous stuff. They can't wait to hear what he's going to say. So the uh, service kind of begins. It begins with prayer, maybe something a little bit like music, and then somebody reads some of the scripture, and then it's Jesus's turn. It's Jesus's turn to bring the message. And so everybody is like on their seat's edge, and they are trying to listen to what this guy is going to say, their hometown hero is going to say. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, Jesus. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, because now it was time for him to teach about what he had chosen to read. And everyone, everyone in the room knew exactly what he had just read. And they can't believe what he just chose to read from Isaiah, from all the places that he could have read. He reads this passage. And so they are full of excitement, they are full of anticipation, and they can't wait about what he's about to say. And so verse 21, then Jesus began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Like, wow, like double wow, like amazing. Like if people could have cheered back then, they were cheering. If you were in that room, there were probably people who busted out in tears and were crying over what Jesus had just claimed that day. If you were there, it was like your hometown uh, team had just gone to the Super Bowl and in the last minute, on the last drive, they win the scoring touchdown. Guys are like taking their head coverings and throwing it off because he has made it clear. Jesus made it very clear. They were all familiar with this passage. They had been holding on to this passage because they were under the oppression of the Romans and they were waiting for someone to free them. They were waiting for the Messiah to free them from the oppression of the Romans. And here's their hometown boy who's saying that he is saying that he is the Messiah. And here's who the Messiah is. The Messiah was predicted hundreds of years prior to this from the prophet Isaiah who had written this down. And it was a promise from God that he would send the Messiah. And the Messiah was to free everyone and bring freedom to everyone, bring peace to all mankind. He was there to have, help people into a relationship with God. He was there to rule rightly instead of wrongly. He was there in order to judge people who needed to be judged. And he was there to usher in God's kingdom. That's who the Messiah was. But on a side note, this is what we need to understand, okay? To the Jewish people at that time, they were oppressed by the Romans. They couldn't stand the Romans. 
The Romans had done horrible things to them. And they were wondering, okay, where is God? It seems like God is silent. It seems like he's not doing anything. And so here's Jesus who's claiming to be the Messiah. And they are excited. Here's this hometown grown boy in their backyard who is claiming to be the Messiah. And so let's see how they kind of respond. Um, So when they start to think about this, in verse 22, they say, all right, everyone spoke well of Jesus and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But wait a second, they started kind of thinking. Like, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? So some of them are starting to think, yeah, how can this be? You know, this is Joseph's son. We know Jesus. Like, Jesus grew up in the house right next to me. Yeah, he was a good student and, like, memorized the Bible like nobody's business. But you know what? In 30 years, this guy hasn't done anything miraculous. So we need some proof. You know, like, before we, like, tweet away, before we, like, post him on Facebook and create a like page and all those types of things, before we, like, you know, put him on the news, the 5 o'clock news, and before we even really get to, you know, promote Jesus and say, you know what, we're going to rename the town from Nazareth to, like, J-Town or something like that, we need a little bit of proof from this guy. And so here's what I love about Jesus. He knows their thoughts. And he starts out really early, before they even say these types of things. He knows what they're thinking. And let's watch what he says to them. Verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So it gets real interesting. Here's Jesus you know, who's done some miracles, and he's saying right here, I'm not going to do any miracles. And the people are like, what? You're not going to do any miracles? Are you kidding us? Like, you just healed this kid over here in Capernaum. You know, do something here. Like, heal all of us or something. And so they're wondering, why isn't Jesus going to heal? And the reason Jesus wasn't going to do any miracles at that point is because he knows their hearts. And their hearts are, they want a Messiah who's going to bring judgment. They want a Messiah who's going to come in and judge the Roman people because they were tired of being oppressed. But yet in that passage, he didn't read anything about judgment. In fact, he stopped short of where it says that there is going to be judgment. Look at this. These are the words that he read from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, that he chose to say and where he chose to stop as well. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to confront... Uh, comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. He didn't read that part. He wasn't there to judge. He wasn't there to exact judgment upon the Romans. He was there to give his life. That's what he wanted the people to know. He wanted them to know that he had come, that he had come for people who thought they could not ever be in a relationship with God and let them know that they could be in a relationship with him. That's the captives he wanted to set free. Those are the people that he had come for. He wanted everyone to be set free. He wanted everyone to come into a relationship with God. He wasn't there to exact judgment upon the Romans in that time. He came to die so that all people, all of us, could have a relationship with him if we choose. And so 
You see, Jesus, he wasn't just thinking about that current situation like the Jews was. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about everybody in this room. He was thinking about all of us. He wasn't just thinking, I'm going to be the Messiah of some people. I'm going to be the Messiah for all people. And so in this moment, he knows his hometown is not getting the point. But yet he chooses to do something. He chooses to still reach out to them and still advance towards them. And so what he's about to say is a powerful couple statements or examples that he's going to give to them to make it clear of what he's there for. And so this is like, you know, Maximus kind of defying the emperor because he's trying to show that, yeah, I'm going to reach out to them, but I'm also going to fight and fight for you. And this is kind of like William Wallace who refused to like cry out for mercy to end the torture because he knew there was something greater at stake. And so Jesus knows that the thing that's more important is that there's freedom for all and not just for some. And so here's what Jesus reminded them. And it's going to sound a little odd to us, okay? He reminds them of two historical events. Verse 25, Jesus said, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath and in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian, a foreigner. So let me give you the lowdown of what Jesus is saying here. Basically, they knew of both of these events from scripture. The people knew these events. And so basically Jesus is saying, hey, you remember those events? You know, God's love was greater than beyond just the Jews. And that's what God wants us to know. You remember what uh, God said to Abraham a long, long time ago when this whole deal started? He said that you were to become a great nation so that others could enter into a relationship with God through you. That's what God's been fighting for. That's what Jesus was there to do. He was to fight for all and not just for some. And so in that moment, these guys are thinking, no, you know, the Messiah is here to judge. And they had that so focused on their minds and they were so fixated on that thought that he wasn't going to change their minds about that. Now, I understand that. There's been times in my life when I haven't gotten it with God. You know, there's been times in my life where I've said to God, you know what, I think you should behave this certain way or do this certain thing. And when he didn't, I've gotten angry at him. I've gotten mad at him in those cases, you know? And I've held on to a certain belief about God and who he is rather than being open to really who God is and really doing the work to find out who exactly he is. We've all done that. We've all been there. We've all held on to beliefs about God that have been wrong and not allowed to learn from God exactly what he wants us to know about him instead. And so we can't blame these people for not getting it. And Jesus didn't blame these people for not getting it. And he knew they were going to respond wrongly. And yet he still went because God is fighting for all. God never gives up on us. Jesus is fighting for all of us and not just some of us. And that's what he wants them to understand. But they didn't get it. And here's what happened. So instead of like listening to Jesus and saying, hey, thanks for clarifying that for us. You know, we were wrong. Uh, They got like beyond mad. Listen to this in verse 28. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. 
They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus was willing to give his life. He knew what he said to them was like going to get them really stirred up and riled up. And here's the thing. Do you know why the crowd like couldn't kill him in that moment? It's because Jesus wasn't finished fighting. Do you know what Luke records over and over again from eyewitnesses? He records that many times, there were many attempts on Jesus's life before he ultimately gave his life by people who did not agree that he was God, that people who saw that he was saying that the kingdom of God was for all and not just for some because Jesus wasn't finished fighting. And even when he died on the cross, it was by his choosing and not by their own choosing. And many people saw him die on the cross because Jesus wasn't finished fighting at that moment. And even when Jesus came back alive from the grave and people tried to say that he didn't, there were many people who came into contact with the risen Savior and it's been recorded because Jesus wasn't finished with us. And even then, when there were tons of Jews who were becoming Christ followers at the time and some of the Jews were trying to stop them from becoming Christ followers, it was because Jesus wasn't finished fighting for them. And as Luke records all across the Roman Empire, many Gentiles put their faith in Jesus and made him their savior because Jesus wasn't finished fighting. And through hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, people, millions, billions of people have put their faith in Jesus and have become Christ followers because they have had a personal encounter with Jesus because Jesus isn't finished fighting. And many of us, we've had our stories impacted. Many of you have had your stories impacted by God as well. And we know Christ followers all across this town and all across this world because Jesus isn't finished fighting. And Luke records this because he wants us to know that these things happened. It's not just a story. It's history. Now, the other day, or a few weeks ago, my uh, daughter, she puts her faith in Christ. She invites Jesus into her life. She had all the elements. She knew exactly. She'd been asking questions for like a year and a half about Jesus and everything. And this past week, we were driving and uh, we, she's really fascinated with the, the star uh, for the Christmas story. And so she's been wanting to see stars. So we've let her stay up a couple nights in a row to see some stars. Well, there were clouds, so she hasn't seen any stars. And so unbeknownst to us, she prays to God to see some stars the very next night. And I took her out and my son Trevor, and we were just kind of out, and we were coming back a little late, and the stars were out. And she all of a sudden says, Dada, there's stars. I see stars. I've never seen stars. I prayed to God that I would see some stars, and now I need to thank him. I didn't put those words in her mouth, okay? My mouth, like, hit the ground, okay? Here's this four-year-old that has put her trust in Jesus. Here's this four-year-old who's had her prayers answered, which just shows me and reminds me that God is in control. He is fighting. I couldn't arrange that for my little daughter. I tried two nights in a row. It didn't work, okay? And yet God cares so much about us. 
And if we talk to you and we talk to your stories, there's many of us in this room who have stories where God met us at some point of our need, where he showed you that he is fighting for you. Many of you I've met in starting point where we check out God's story. And many of you have shared your story about how God came into your life when you needed him to come into your life. Many of you through starting point have said, you know what? I see God's story. I see him coming after me. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And there are many people today, millions and millions of people, billions of people who are meeting on Sunday, today, right now, across this world, who are learning and putting their faith in Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus, and their lives were changed as well. You know, I'm so thankful that Luke was so detailed that he wanted us to know Know that Jesus is the risen Savior, and he took so much time and so much effort to write those things down for us. And I'm so glad that we are not alone. You know, our stories show it, history shows it, and um, Jesus is not done fighting, and he's not finished. And it's amazing. I have a lot of people who come up to me and say, hey, Tim, you know, what's God's will for my life? And, you know, that's an interesting question. There's many answers and many things that I could tell them. But, you know, one of the things that is really cool when we think about that question is, what's the most important thing to God? You know, what is he willing to fight for? Jesus is fighting for all. So won't we join him in fighting for all? That's the will of God. That's what he's doing. That's what he's shown throughout history. He's fighting for you. He's fighting for those that we know. And so how do we join him in this fight? Well, it starts with our families. It starts with our friends. It starts with our neighbors. It starts for praying with, for them. It starts with a conversation. It starts with an invitation. And I couldn't think of a better week to invite your friends, your family members, your neighbors to a Christmas service next week where they could hear about the greatest gift that has ever been given and that is being given today. Because Jesus is fighting for all and not for some. And he desires for us, for all to know, but we have to help in inviting all as well. And so would you join the fight with him? Would you help him by inviting the people that you know need to hear what God has done in changing many lives, billions of lives as well? So let's pray. And as you, uh, we pray, I just want you to think about this. I want you to think about those people. I want you to think about your friends, your family members, your neighbors. And I want you to start now. I want you to start praying for them for next week. Ask God for the opportunity to invite them to hear the gift that he has given. And so, God, we could just come to you and we thank you so much for never giving up. Never that you are always fighting, even when we don't feel like it at times, God. You are not silent. You have done so much to show us who you are, exactly who you are, that you are a God of love, that you care so much about us, that you would even go up against your own people and say, you know what? I still love you guys, but here's the reason why I came. Here's what I'm fighting for. Wouldn't you, won't you join me? And God, we just thank you so much that there are so many people who are meeting today, billions of people who are meeting because you have changed their lives. And so we thank you 
for what you could only do in our hearts to free us from our sin, to die for us, to give us a relationship with you. Thank you for fighting. Thank you for fighting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Epic. Now, if that cold weather doesn't wake you up, the warship will hear this morning, won't it? All right, right on. All right, my name's Cody, and um, I have a few announcements before we get started into, uh, into today's message. Um, if you're new here with us today, uh, thank you for joining us. We're so happy you're here. On your way out after service, I ask that you stop by the Connection Center over there. Um, we have a little information to tell you exactly what Epic is all about. And next week um, is Christmas. So as we're coming into the Christmas season, on the 29th, which is a Sunday after Christmas, we are not going to have service. Uh, we're going to take the, take the week off just so you guys can spend time with your family and so we can honor our volunteers here at Epic that just make Sunday what it is, our worship and everything here at Epic. So thank you volunteers for what you do. We really appreciate everything you do to make Sunday what it is. And then we're, we're the first, thank you very much. And then the Sunday after the new year, that's when we're going to resume. That'll be the first Sunday we come back. So next week is going to be our Christmas series. So that's the week that you invite everybody to come out, your friends, your family. They're going to rock it out again. It's going to be a great week of service. And then our giving tree, as you see, the tree in the back is all lit up. And the amazing thing is there's no tags on it. You guys went above and beyond as Epic Church to take those tags and just fulfill what the Epic Giving Tree is all about. So to give you, absolutely. So to give you a few stats of what you guys did as Epic, we actually were able to sponsor 36 families here at Epic and in the community. Um, We were also able to give out 148 clothing items to Alpha Pregnancy Center. And then tomorrow, we're going to be having our bagel breakfast for our local police officers in Flagler County. So thank you guys for what you do. You're absolutely amazing. And if you call Epic your home... Uh, and you would like to give back to Epic and what we're doing here at Epic Church. There's two ways that you can give. You can give online at theepicchurch.com, or you can give in the giving boxes, which are right behind you. And then also, we have something called the Spiritual Growth Challenge. On the Spiritual Growth Challenge, we have a couple Bible verses that Tim's going to be having, finishing up our uh, To Pick a Fight series, and a couple more questions to help you dig deeper into what the series is all about. So if you'd like to get a copy of that Spiritual Growth Challenge, we have it back at the Connection Center. You can grab them back there, maybe even take a couple notes from today on it. And then also, you can get online at The Epic Church, and you can download it on there to help you out throughout the week and help discuss it maybe in your small group. So everybody, um, as you've heard, uh, we did have a tornado roll through Flagler County yesterday. And um, before we get started, I'd just like to pray for everybody that was involved in that. Father God, just thank you for your grace and your protection, Lord. Uh, Through something that devastating coming through our town, um, nobody was hurt. Your hand was upon us, and we thank you for that, Lord. And as we go through the week and we see just the devastation that's happened, the houses that were impacted and the families, I ask that you utilize us as a church, as a community, as a one big family to be able to embrace these families, just to pour out love to them and help them get through this time of need. Um, So, Lord, we ask that you join us here and uh, just be our provider, our healer, Lord. And uh, thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 